I, I should tell you the title of this episode is going to be Obscure References and Sadness because one <laughs> of the panelists says that's that's your stock and trade apparently. But <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. The Incomparable Podcast, number ninety-eight, July twenty twelve. Hi there, I'm Lex Friedman. I'm joined by three very, very cool people, and they are in no particular order. John Syracusa. Hello, Lex. Scott McNulty. Hello. And Greg Noss. Hi there. Hello. And tonight, we are all talking together about Jonathan Colton, uh, the man, the myth, the internet legend, uh, who I guess in most of the press I see about Jonathan Colton or Joko to his fans these days, they sort of describe him as a geek rocker. I don't know if you guys would accept that label or not, but I'm seeing it applied to him more and more. But we're going to talk about his music and his oeuvre and some of our favorite Colton songs and why we like him so much. So uh, why don't we, just to sort of get things started, kick off by discussing how you first became aware of Jonathan Colton, what your introduction to him was. Um and I pick Scott McNulty to go first. Uh, all right. I have prepared this uh, because I um, knew that I had uh, blogged about when I first heard about Jonathan Colton. So I Googled myself and Jonathan Colton and read my blog post um, <laughs> so I could remember what – how I was so, – so he did a cover of uh, Baby Got Back – uh, as we all may remember. And so someone linked to that on their blog. And uh, so this was what in 2006, I guess. So that's when he first uh, came across my radar. And then he started doing a bunch of other things that got more attention. And uh, he did the thing a week stuff. And uh, then he did the portal song and got very popular. And, and so that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Excellent. John. Not surprisingly, my first encounter with him was also the Baby Got Back song, and I don't even remember where I got it from. It was one of those things you get floating around the internet, and I I didn't make any connection of an artist with it, because you know when you get songs on the internet, and they're like, oh, hey, listen to this funny song, you listen to it, you're like, eh, yeah, that's nice. Uh, and then you forget about it, right? Uh, but th- yes. this one, for whatever reason, uh, like... I did basically forget about it, and they were like, oh, there's this guy doing this thing where he's going to record a song every week, and his name is not Zay Frank, although you might get them confused initially, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I saw that guy's doing the TV. No, no, this guy's doing music, and it's like a new one every week and stuff, so I went to his website, and I said, hey, that's the guy who did the Baby Got Back thing, so he went from a one-hit internet wonder immediately to a guy whose name I should remember uh, and watch for, and I watched Thing a Week with varying levels of interest because it's still still at that point i'm like all right so he did this cute cover and he's trying to do these songs but some of them are kind of cruddy but you know you know it might come together but probably he's doomed to failure uh but as we all know he did not fail and he uh just continued to grow in stature and uh, my following of him became more and more rabid over time culminating in today greg was baby got back your introduction as well it it might have been but the only the first conscious memory i have jonathan colton is code monkey I, I, there was a, a period where people, sensitive singer-songwriters, were recording uh, various rap songs. I have uh, – and I don't remember her name, but she's a sensitive singer-songwriter who recorded straight out of Compton. And I really liked that. And so I remember looking for others and finding a couple. And I – maybe Baby Got Back was among those. Um, but the first time I remember the name Jonathan Colton was Code Monkey. Latecomer. Understood. 
you know, I for me it was not uh it wasn't Code Monkey and it wasn't Baby Got Back, but it was during um I I had a, a friend, a longtime friend and collaborator who I would write songs with, goofy songs with all the time. And it was the week, Baby Got Back was part of Thing a Week One, which I guess we could talk a little bit about more in a couple minutes. But uh, the week before Baby Got Back was released, uh, he released a song called Shop Vac. And it was my friend uh, Seth sent me a link, said, look at this guy. He's trying to do a song every week for a year. Why didn't we think of that? Now, certainly we don't have the talent or musicianship or even, you know, any of the, the brilliant sensibilities that, that Colton has. But so I heard that song Shop Vac and then I had to go back and I listened to the first couple of songs that he had done and then I was listening every week and you know there at at one point at first you know, I was just going to his blog where he was posting these songs as he recorded them each week and then I would at, at some point he put made them available for purchase on his website and when he made them available for purchase he had coded the website in such a way that it was very easy to get all the songs without paying for them uh which I did and then felt terribly about and then I went and PayPal'd him uh in his amnesty program to to make up for my wrongdoing. And I still feel bad about it, which is why I'm admitting to it publicly now. You're a disappointment to us all. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I ask everybody to, to come prepared with their three favorite uh, Jonathan Colton songs. For me, that was a very difficult decision. It was, I think, probably even harder than Sophie's Choice. Uh, but, um, oh, there, there was, some there was some debate before the show about whether this was going to be draft style, meaning each song could only pick, be picked once or not. And I have made the executive decision that multiple people can pick the same songs because I want them to be true to their three favorites. And because he, uh, disapproves of that approach, I'll let Jonathan Syracuse go first. Jonathan, Nate, tell us your first of your three favorite songs. These need not be in any particular order. Are you calling me Jonathan because it's a Jonathan Colton reference or because you think my name is actually Jonathan? I guess it was a, because I was thinking of Colton. I was looking at my Jonathan <laughs> Colton notes and so I thought. All right, well, you can, so John, you just pretend it's you intentional. Go All right, uh, are we, are these, is this an ordered list or unordered? This is unordered list. This is UL. All right. Uh, I guess I'm going to start with probably the, takes the throne for all time favorite, but it wasn't my original favorite. So it's kind of like my current favorite, but I think it will be tough to knock off of this perch. And it's not a particularly unique or interesting favorite, and I bet other people have picked it, but there you have it. Uh, it is The Future Soon, which is a song uh, that's about as straightforward as a Jonathan Colton song can be. It's about a disaffected nerdy youth and robots and cyborgs and all those sorts of things that you would imagine a, a parody Jonathan Colton song would be about. Turns out she's smarter than I thought she was She knows I wrote it, now the whole class does too And I'm all alone during couples skate When she skates by with some guy on her arm But I know that I'll forget the look of pity in her face When I'm living in my solar dome on a platform in space Strange, get engineered away. It's gonna be the future soon. And the 
reason I like it. It took it took a while to grow on me because a lot, a lot of the songs when I was first listening to them, uh, I tend to listen to music, listening for the music first and lyrics second. And so I didn't even really listen to what the lyrics were about. I'm like, oh, just kind of like a mid-tempo, rocky kind of song, whatever. Uh, and then as I listened to it a couple more times, I actually listened to the lyrics. This sounds strange, uh, talking about a Jonathan Colton song and not listening to the lyrics, but it's just, just the way things tend to grow on me. And the thing I love so much about the story is that it starts out as a kind of cliched, like, oh, I'm a nerd and, uh, you know, I have a crush on a girl, but she doesn't like me and I'm sad, right? You know, that that's not going anywhere, right? Uh, but it quickly turns into a story about, all right, well, that's my life now, but things will get better later uh, because I will use my big nerdy brain to do these awesome things and maybe I'll work on my own, uh, you know, race of uh, robot android uh uh, army that might destroy the world and then I'll go and talk to her and you know we'll finally get together but then she'll realize I'm the guy who destroyed the entire world. and so it's a it's an elaborate fantasy spun out by this nerdy guy and and it doesn't end in hey I will have this elaborate fantasy in the in the end of my fantasy I will get the girl and I'll show them all it ends in a self-destructive uh conclusion where uh despite his best efforts or because of his best efforts he ends up, you know, destroying the things that he loves, totally consumed by bitterness and enslaving this girl that he's after. So it's, I loved it so much because it's, it, it nicely captures the feeling of when you're, you know, a nerdy kid, that even in your fantasy scenarios, things end horribly for you. And, and, <laughs> and it's all because, it's all because of your own instincts and your own, like, you know, like there's, there's the sentiment underlying it all that, you know, all these awkward things about me will go away in the future and I'll be better. But there's the realization that, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Like, I'm going to have to become OK with myself. Otherwise, things aren't going to turn out nicely in the end. And that that kind of bittersweet, pessimistic, optimistic, uh, you know, cliche, but counter cliche uh, thing is like the perfect the perfect formula for uh, that Jonathan Colton in my mind. That's that's my favorite. It's you know, and for me, one thing I like about that one specifically is just the the phrasing of the the title and thus the chorus. You know, the, I just feel like the that term the, that is going to be the future soon is a a clever way of phrasing that conceit. Yeah, I mean that the, the title is a little. He's very good with with the wordplay. Like his songs are like yes. almost straightforward. Like they're not too clever, but they're just a little bit off. And he's just very tight and very concise with with the music and and the lyrics. It's he's. He's a great songwriter. I'm really surprised that you listen to the music before you listen to the words, just in general. Well, like, you know, just when you're auditioning songs, like, especially when I was doing a thing a week, it's like, oh, let's see what he's got this week. And you listen to it and it's like, yeah. but some of them, like the music production quality is not great. And in, in some of the thing a week things, and you never know which one is going to come out. And like, he, he has really good pop sensibilities with hooks, but sometimes the one with the best hooks have the least interesting lyrics, you know, and, and it was one every single week. And I was paying, you know, kind of tangential attention. So that's, that's how I came to this. And I circled back around eventually and, and, and the future soon you know, went to the top versus my second choice, which I listened to the lyrics right off for some reason. And that was my old favorite. So we'll get to that next. You know, I, I just want to ask, have you ever heard, uh, John, the I fight dragons cover of the future soon? I probably have at this point. I've heard many covers of many of the Jonathan Colton songs, but I don't recognize the, uh, the artist. It's, I, I, I didn't know the artist before that cover, but it's sort of, I don't know the, if the right term is like a chip tune, you know, it's, it's got the, a video gamey sound. Yeah to it it's very well done anyway i fight dragons the cover of the future soon the, the future soon is like a uh, robot apocalypse version of an it gets better video right but but doesn't get better <laughs> it doesn't you know. right 
It gets worse. It gets better in the sense that he does get to destroy the world and no one else did, but he still doesn't get what he wanted. Right. <laughs> There's nowhere you can hide. You know? Jeez. Yeah. That, that is going to be a theme, I think, of this <laughs> discussion. But you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find that you fail anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. My introduction to Colton remains my favorite, which is Code Monkey. Code Monkey, get up, get coffee. Code Monkey, go to job. Code Monkey, have boring meeting with boring manager Rob. Rob say Code Monkey, very diligent, but his output stink. His code not functional or elegant. What do Code Monkey think? Code Monkey think maybe manager want to write goddamn login page himself. Code Monkey not say it out loud. Code Monkey not crazy, just proud. Code Monkey like Fritos. Code Monkey like Tabas Mountain Dew. Code Monkey very simple man with big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code Monkey like Because I, it's a song that, that, of course, is about a nerdy guy who can't get the girl, um, <laughs> which has a particular relevance to my life um, prior to my marriage. But there's also um, it was the first song that my kids really took to that wasn't a kid's song. You know, they'd listen to a whole bunch of uh, crap that was aimed at them, that was marketed at them, you know, that was designed for five year olds. And Code Monkey was the first song that we they that I listened to that they asked to have played, and like my eldest son, he would take uh, sheets of eight and a half by eleven paper, and um, he he latched onto the line "Big Fuzzy Secret Heart," and he drew a heart the size of the page and drew very fine hairs around the outside of it and put a classified stamp over it and hung it on the fridge, and so because <laughs> I have very literal minded children. So it's it's I associate the song not only with really enjoying it and it having relevance to me, but also that my kids came into an age when they started growing up, when they stopped being kids and they started looking at a wider world and finding things that that I could enjoy that they could also enjoy at the same time. It's the very transitional phase, and it will always stick with me because of that. You know, when I think of that song, I think of him sitting. Was this, I don't even remember if that was a thing a week song, but all of the songs, I think of him sitting there and saying, "Okay, I got I got to write a song. We got to write a song. We need a reason. So he comes uh, need, need an idea. So he comes up with the idea. You know, okay, nerdy guy can't get the girl. I kind of did that already. But the the idea that makes him go, oh yeah, no, now I got it, is that okay? I'm going to do the lyrics like in like monkey speak, right? <laughs> and so it's so it's you know it's double. Like I could just do this as a straight ed song, but I'm also going to do them. You know, code monkey, get up, get coffee, like in, in caveman speak. And that's it. that. Once you have that idea, then it's off to the races, and that that is a great idea, and it adds like a an extra you know level of difficulty to. I'm going to do the song, but to challenge myself, since I've done these nerdy songs, I'm going to do it as a monkey, and it, it makes it ten times better. I also think it works on two levels, both as monkey speak and as pseudocode. Yep, that works well. <laughs> and it, it was thing a week. It was thing a week three. What I always think about with Code Monkey is. You know, Jonathan Colton's job before he decided I'm going to quit and start doing this thing a week thing a for a year. He was a coder. And he's, you know, he said that this song is not exactly, he said that the boss part is autobiographical, <laughs> but that the, the, the pining after the specific woman was not. But, um, I mean, I was once a code monkey and I just, I hated it. I mean, there's things about programming that I like, but doing programming where you're specifically doing one other person's bidding and you can't flex any creative muscle. I understand that monkey mentality and not wanting to be the monkey and. I don't know. That, that's always what I think about is him working in that job and not loving it. There's also the my children 
really adoring the line, uh, goddamn login page. <laughs> they took particular delight in that. <laughs> Just singing the song, dad. <laughs> yeah. That, that's interesting that he's able to, uh, communicate like, I, 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 you know, I don't know if I knew he was a programmer at the time I, I listened to that, but I said he is using the correct vocabulary modified by the monkey speak slash pseudocode to express a sentiment with the correct language. Like a, a, a counterexample to this would be kind of like uh, uh, Weird Al's All About the Pentiums, which you can tell Weird Al did tons of good research to get his lyrics to be technically accurate, but you could also tell that Weird Al is not a programmer. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas in this one, he, there are very few technical words in it at all, but the monkey speak, you know, write goddamn login page himself. That's how managers would talk about things. Oh, we need a login page on this. Like, and if you were working on the web as a programmer during that time, that lingo coming from bosses, to, you know, spitting it back at them, you know, rings true. And I, th- I feel like even the, the tab and mountain do work yep. and, I, and th- that they wouldn't necessarily be. I don't know that that Weird Al would have gone to Tab and Mountain Dew. I mean, I really like Weird Al a lot, but I feel like that's 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 an insidery knowledge. Not that those are insidery sodas, but just to know that 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 level of caffeine is what's important to certain yeah. code monkeys. I think was good. All right, Scott, hit us with your first choice. Okay, well, I uh, as I am a person who does not enjoy Christmas generally, but I do enjoy Christmas songs. <laughs> And I also enjoy Christmas songs that are mostly inappropriate for Christmas. Uh, and so Jonathan Colton has a number of these songs. Indeed. Um, and my favorite is uh, Chiron Beta Prime. This year has been a little crazy for the Andersons. You may recall we had some trouble last year. The robot council had us banished to an asteroid. That hasn't undermined our holiday cheer. And we know it's almost Christmas. By the marks we make on the wall That's our favorite time of year Merry Christmas From Chiron Beta Prime Where we're working in a mine Which tells the story of uh, a family who has been captured uh, or sent to uh, a planet where they are mining things uh, and, you know, being punished. And they, o- they can only tell it's Christmas because they have scrawled in their cell the number of days it has been since they were captured uh and uh so they they're singing they sing the song to uh as a christmas greeting to their friends uh and then they try to slip in a plea for help uh but then uh jonathan colton cleverly puts in a robot voice that says message redacted so you don't hear that part of the song uh and so it just delights me to play this song during christmas um so that I can ruin everyone else's Christmas as well. You're the guy who kept voting for Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer on Dr. Demento, <laughs> weren't you? That, that was me, yes. You know, I, I had Chiron Beta Prime on my backup list, you know, since I couldn't limit myself to three at first. But I, I will say, and I really, really like the song. I have, I have complaints. No. Here are my complaints, and I have but two. Number one, first, I think, you know, the first verses I think are very brilliantly... Uh, the, the lyrics are really brilliantly done. You know that you know that the 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 hardships they're enduring haven't undermined their holiday cheer. And you know, did I say overlords? I mean protectors. I really like when singers correct themselves during a song. You know, because it's as if the song is is happening right then live. You know, I like that. But my two problems are one with that message redacted line, which is a great joke. The whole thing is a song, um, and it's it all rhymes, and I cannot. F- 
come up with a realistic line that could have gone there that would have rhymed before they redacted the message and I don't like that. I want to know what they were going to say. And then two is just two lines later uh, he makes a Soylent Green joke and I think that the Soylent Green joke is below beneath him and beneath the song. Uh, I, I like a good Soylent Green joke so I, I will uh, allow it. <laughs> I, I only can criticize the song because of how much I love it. I, th- this does not detract from my overall enjoyment of the song, but because I have such, you know, fandom for it, I feel like it's it, important for me to voice these two concerns. <laughs> I think you've done a service uh, for the world, Lex. Don't worry. Anybody else want to weigh in on Chiron Beta Prime? This is, I think, the first song we've mentioned that's not from Thing a Week directly, right? Oh, maybe it was. Never mind, I'm wrong. It's from Thing a Week too. I, I know from, nothing. Yeah. Cool. I know nothing. I'm I'm curious to see if anybody picks anything from Artificial Heart. I have two selections from Artificial Heart, but I, we'll I, get your, to those on your on your main list or on your back on my list? on my main list. Oh, oh, I have oh. I have one from Artificial Heart as well. So my my first pick is not from Artificial Heart, and it is one of the few songs I think that I could say that I love that has a colon in the title, um, <laughs> and that is Re Your Brains. Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand. You folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an FYI you're all gonna die screaming. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable. I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. We, we haven't discussed yet, you know, how you would classify Jonathan Colton. You know, I think that to many people, he's, you know, a, a humor musician, a, a comic musician. I think, you know, to some people, he might even, they might even apply the, the novelty label to him. Uh, I, I don't think any of those really apply. I think he's a musician who happens to also be very funny and to inject many of his songs with humor. But I enjoy some of his serious songs as much as I enjoy the, the humorous ones. Rear Your Brains is, is pretty much a straight comedy song, <laughs> uh, which I think is an exception for him overall. Uh, but I really like it. Read Your Brains is uh, told in the form of sort of a, a memo or a series of memos from one co-worker to another. And clearly these were co-workers who didn't get get along well before the zombie apocalypse. And now that uh, one of them is hiding inside a mall and the other is the zombie and the dictator of the letter. Um, expressing his his desire to get inside and eat his former colleague's brain and his inability to do so yet. But I really, I think the song is... It's funny because, it, like we mentioned earlier, you know, John, you said that you always like to listen to the music first and then you go to the lyrics. I'm very much the opposite with all the music I listen to. For me, if I don't like the lyrics, then the song is of no interest to me. I think that Re Your Brains uniquely has a very, I don't know the best word for it, compelling is not it, but a very cleverly implemented chord structure. And um, I think the lyrics are also just brilliant. I think the conceit, there can only be, as far as I'm concerned, there can only be one song told from the perspective of a still very coherent zombie. And Jonathan Colton wrote it and owns it. And I just, I think it's excellent. The, the brilliant thing about this song is that like like his other songs, that he's he's got an idea like a letter from a zombie, right? But the, the entire song is a, a you know, parodied statement against office culture. 
phrased in a way that's not so distant from actual office culture, you know, like with, with the zombies, you know, your colleagues who use this stupid business speak are like one centimeter removed from being zombies. So to see them as zombies, <laughs> it's like not that much of a stretch. And the things they say, the things they say are, you know, with the exception of the part about eating brains, every other word in this song could believably come out of their mouth in the course of a normal office day because they're just crazy sociopaths that you have to work with. And then they just finally admit, you know, I'm not a monster, Tom. Well, OK, fine. Technically, I am. That's one of his strengths is that he takes all. Of, I mean, all the songs we've mentioned so far have been really high concept. There's something in the title that tells you what the song's going to be about. But the song itself isn't just that joke repeated over and over and over. There are yes. more layers to it. Yeah, that's that's definitely right. The title is not the only joke, and it's not the only yeah. meaning. The premise isn't the it only joke. Build. The lyrics, like, every, everything builds on itself. And most of his songs, kind of like Bruce Springsteen, most of his songs, like, go somewhere, you know? Like the story. And, you know, it's it's interesting because you know, I, I mentioned that I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Al Yankovic, but when you talk about a song like It's All About the Pentiums, he has a tendency to do what he even classifies as list songs. You know, here's my funny concept, and now I'm going to give funny example after funny example. And I think that, Greg, you nailed it. That, that is not the approach that, that's not the approach that, that Colton takes. He, he definitely tries to build and to not just build on jokes if it's a funny song, but to, you know, to build somewhere. And just the, the actual um, office speak that he puts in that song and that fits so naturally coming out of the zombie's mouth is just so perfect. You know, I, maybe we'll table this for now. I'm sure we'll get to common ground. You know, you've heard these in... Any, anybody who's ever worked in corporate America has heard these terms. And I, I enjoy the uh, part where they are trying to talk him out of the... He's locked himself in a room, right? And he's like, no one's going to eat your eyes. Don't worry. We are, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just want the brain. The great part, like, they're supposed to be, you know, using their smooth business speak, but they just they just matter-of-factly say, why don't you... We'll come to a decision. Our compromise will be, you'll open the door, we'll come in, and then we'll eat your brains. And, like, they don't even realize they're, you know... This, they're, the zombiness is taking over. They're just coming right out and saying what they want. <laughs> trying to be smooth, but... I, I don't know how many of you have seen, I know that John has, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Jonathan Colton live, but when he performs Read Your Brains live, the first thing before the song starts is he'll, uh, he'll ask the audience to practice singing the chorus. He wants the audience to perform the zombie portion of the chorus. And generally speaking, the audience will sing it well, and then he'll correct them afterwards saying, no, 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 remember you are the undead, you are zombies, you must sing it much worse than that. And then he encourages the audience to sing it much more horribly instead. And I always enjoy that experience. This is the one public forum in which my singing abilities are valued and appreciated. <laughs> finally, finally, I have, I have a reason, a command to sing very badly. And yes, I can do that, Jonathan. And yes, I've seen him live many times. All the times I am yelling at the top of my lungs in horrible, totally off-key zombie singing. <laughs> Everyone's like, God, that guy is so good at the zombie thing. Yeah. Give give us a sample, John. No, thank you. <laughs> you, are, you are not Jonathan Colton, and I am not in a giant audience right now. But yes, you should go to a show so you too can participate in this ritual. Uh, I've been lucky enough to. There you go. So let's go to round two. Uh, John, you got to start round one, so you get to start round two as well. Yes. So this was my original favorite Jonathan Colton song, and it is kind of like, uh, you know, Beginner's Fisher Price, my first Jonathan Colton song. Because if you don't know who he is and you're not sure you're ready for this type of thing, you get this song and it will introduce you in a gentle way to what he's all about. And it's I Crush Everything. And I'd like to swim beside you, getting dizzy in your way, getting close enough to touch you, getting brave enough to take you into my arms, bring you down, believe in me. But I can't do that thing. 
so the, the premise of the song is not apparent on first listening. It's just kind of a nice thing. And, you know, I crush everything. It's kind of like, oh, woe is me. Everything I touch gets destroyed or whatever. And that's what you think the first one or two times you listen to it, because you're just like, or at least if you're like me, you're like, la-di-da, fine, whatever. But then if you actually listen to the lyrics, it's like they don't seem to be making any sense. And what the heck are they talking about? Uh, very little. If you pay just a, the smallest bit of attention what this song is about will reveal itself to you. No deep thought required, no deep cultural knowledge of anything. Uh, it's about a giant squid. Uh, and what he does is he can't help himself but pull ships down and, you know, d- destroy them. Because that's what giant squids do stereotypically. <laughs> and he feels bad about it. And every lyric in the song is like, I'm going to, you know, this this is, look, seems like a simple song. But listen to it for a second. It's about a giant squid. And it's not obscurely about a giant squid. It's straightforwardly about a giant squid like, you know doesn't say hey i'm a giant squid but it does everything but uh and i, I love the uh the sentiment of you know sort of a, a nice kind of uh self de- oh, god i can't believe we had to pick three songs because i could pick a hundred songs but it's kind of like a, yes. a, a woe is me kind of song like you know big bed world one or something like that uh very simple and straightforward but the fact that it's about a giant squid just tickles me uh and turns the song on its ear and that was that was my favorite before the future soon surpassed it I've said this once before and been wrong, but I can now say with conviction, this is the first song we've selected that is not a thing a week song. This was from his his album, Where Tradition Meets Tomorrow. Just floating that out there. Wasn't the future soon also from that? Or or was that... Yeah, Where Tradition Meets Tomorrow has the future soon and I Crush Everything. Well, I never said I was good at this. All right. (laughs) (sighs) You guys still remember what songs come from what albums? Uh, I don't. Well, I'm I, I, looking on the Wikipedia page. I actually bought physical copies oh, okay. of all these CDs, and they, they came in the, in the mail. Yeah, but they're just jumbled into a random shuffle yeah. on iTunes well, no, now, right? No, they were never even opened because I had the songs before that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the the thing about, like, I, I Crush Everything. Anytime I'm introduced to a new subculture, a new artist, I assume that the songs are about giant squids. Yeah. <laughs> and usually I'm disappointed. Um, but it's all these songs, I, I've heard people say that about Jonathan Colton is you can tell how experienced the listener is by whether they laugh or whether they're sad because the songs all start out with jokes. I mean, there are definite jokes here, but as you get deeper into the sentiment of the song, there's real profound sadness at the core of a lot of them. Yeah. Or or like, or uh, ironic poking at your own sadness again, big bad world one, you know, where it's, it's, it's that we should get to this when we get to more general comments about Jonathan Colton. I'll save it for that. Okay. Uh, well, if we're gonna ha- if we're gonna get to those, then I will move us along at a slightly more rapid clip. Greg, your second song. Uh, my my second is going to be Skullcrusher Mountain, and I know it's high concept, and I know there's a lot of jokes in there, but I just I I adore the pony verse. I made this half pony, half monkey monster to please you, but I get the feeling that you don't like it. What's with all the screaming? You like monkeys, you like ponies Maybe you don't like monsters so much Maybe I use too many monkeys Isn't it enough to know that I ruined a pony Making a gift for you And and just specifically one line where he says What's with all the screaming? (laughs) that that reaction is so perfect and so uh i mean again it's following the same template as future soon and code monkey is your sad little man wants the girl but the the setting of the song and then 
of course, when you're in love with somebody and they don't reciprocate, you're going to build them a half pony, half monkey monster. I mean, that just makes sense. And then when, when she, the, she has the normal reaction, the, what's with all the screaming? I, I don't understand why you would react that way. I always, and maybe this is my own lack of imagination, but I always listen to Skull Crusher Mountain as being the future realized by the title character in the future, or the, by the lead <laughs> character in the future soon. I feel like this, this is what he has done. I, I think it's more gothic, less science fiction-y. That's fair. I was thinking of was like uh, uh, the uh, James Bond villain in the in the volcano lair, that yeah, type yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And this is another song where like the song doesn't come out and say, "Hey, I'm Doctor Evil. I'm in my volcano lair." But it just straightforwardly. This is even less obscured than uh, than I Crush Everything, where from the if you listen to any of the lyrics, it says, "All right, well, this is obviously some kind of supervillain, and here's what the supervillain wants." And he behaves in the way that the supervillain does, who is acclimated to being a supervillain, surrounded by yes men. Who, and doesn't understand the way you operate in polite society. You know, gen- genuinely surprised, and that turns it turns the phrase are interesting. Like maybe I used too many monkeys. Like it's just an ingredient he uses in his normal. <laughs> Isn't it enough that he ruined a pony right. making a gift? Yeah, uh, That's it's a thought that counts. The best part is that he will he will mix in sentiments from adult relationships again from his life. I would imagine at this time uh, would he kill would he kill you to be civil? Like yeah. a, I've been patient. I've been yeah. gracious. It's it's a line right out of you know typical you know budding to adulthood relationships of marriage or whatever, which I assume he was in at that time. Just mixed in, you know, like he has he's having the same squabbles. The woman the woman is an abject terror, but he thinks he's in a domestic dispute. Well, that's the, the and that verse splits it exactly in half. Reading from the lyrics, um, you know, it isn't easy living here on Skullcrusher Mountain. Maybe you could cut me just a little slack. Would it kill you to be civil? I've been patient. I've been gracious. And then, and <laughs> this mountain so is covered with wolves. <laughs> Hear them howling, my hungry children. Right. It switches right back into yeah. That that's the way I spoke to all my guys. <laughs> right. True. And I like how he tries to uh, calm her down by saying. Listen, the voices inside my head that control me tell me I shouldn't kill you yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's love, is what Well, that you is. know, when I listen to speaking of that, in the recorded version of that song, I never heard the yet. And, of course, live you hear the yet because, you know, he's singing it and he, he can enunciate it. I, I think I liked it better without the yet. Saying, the voices in my head say I shouldn't kill you, as if that's reassuring. Like, the fact that you're listening to the voices in your head and that they're advising you on who you should or shouldn't kill <laughs> is disturbing enough that you don't need the yet, I think. The yet, you're right, is very subtle in the recorded song. What's a, it's a falsetto, the note that rises at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Uh, John, would you perform that for us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that is a not, yeah. not part of my duty as a Jonathan <laughs> audience member. <laughs> Scott, Scott, share with us your second song. I am going to pick some, uh, a, a fairly straightforward song that perhaps uh, many people would not pick, but I am an odd fellow. So I'm going to pick uh, The President's. Washington came first and he was perfect John Adams kept us out of war with France Jefferson made Louisiana purchase In 1812 James Madison kicked the British in the pants James Monroe told Europe they could suck it John Quincy Adams was a very straightforward song Wow It is, uh, <laughs> he just sings about the presidents, a little fact about them uh, I enjoy a couple of things about this song. A, I like history and songs about history. So there you go. I'm a giant geek. Uh, I enjoy the fact that he uses uh, toy instruments in it. Yes. That amuses me greatly. Uh, and I like the fact that, so it was written in 2005, so he gets to the end. And of course, George W. Bush uh, is the president then. Uh, he was the president then, I should say. I might get my tenses correct. Uh, and so he's talking about George W. Bush, and he says, he, he goes through, uh, you know, the country's 
in a bad position and nobody knows what's happening uh, and I don't like to make political statements and then there are a couple of beats there so he just doesn't say <laughs> anything uh, and then the song and then he goes back to the the, the verse um, the chorus I should say so it just amuses me greatly it's a very straightforward song it's not deep or uh, layered but uh, sometimes you just want a song that lists all the presidents and gives you a fact about them after after Code Monkey, my I made a Colton playlist for my kids, and they really enjoyed the presidents. But then they started asking questions, particularly about the Clinton cigar line. <laughs> <laughs> Clinton gave an intern a cigar, right? Yeah, and I, I left First of May off that list as well. Uh, and I, I like the the uh, the facts that he chooses to uh, say about some of the presidents, like you know Grover Cleveland served another term. So there you go. That's all Grover. <laughs> And, and yeah, that's exactly right. Some of the descriptions are, are you know, fairly accurate. You know, it's hard to get a, a full history of a president in a single lyric, you know, but saying Jefferson made Louisiana purchase is good. And then you get like Nixon was a filthy, dirty liar, which I guess is also a fairly adequate description. Yes. But it's, I, I, I do like the juxtaposition of the, or um, I think my my favorite lyric. I do like that that pause that you referenced, Scott, but um lincoln saved the union then he died i like just like that that's the history of lincoln is he saved the union and then dead i, I laugh i laugh at lincoln's sad death every time and that's wrong. it's too soon too soon to laugh <laughs> uh well my my second selection does come from artificial heart and i think it's okay if we if we take a parallel track here because i i think my my inference here is that greg noss is not necessarily uh as enamored of artificial heart as he might be of the rest of the Colton canon. I'm not putting your words in your mouth, so you'll have a chance to prove me wrong. I'm, I'm dis- you know, it's, I'm disappointed in myself that I don't like it more. I don't want to box him in as an artist, and I realize he's, he's reaching here, he's extending. But and like some of the experimental stuff, like bacteria, I can't stand. But I, I'm disappointed that I don't like it because I know what he's trying to do, and I don't want him to keep doing the same thing for the next twenty years. But I, it, it just, it's not the same for me you should give it a chance because i kind of felt the same way when i first got the album but it is totally like some of them are it's kind of like thing a week where some of them are just forgettable and you're like okay that didn't work but other ones are real growers as they call them and they have really zoomed (laughs) up several of these could have made my top three lists it's just that there's so much back catalog history with me with the other songs that none of these have been in my in my heart long enough to crack the top three so just uh, for the uninitiated uninitiated artificial heart is jonathan colton's first full band album uh produced by john flansberg of they might be giants and it's you know it's uh, every other song that he had released essentially had been done by him at home uh generally with his acoustic guitar and electronic drums and whatever keyboards he could finagle so this was you know a full band playing with him and so the first of my two two artificial heart selections uh, is alone at home. I am glad to be shopping here with you. I will sit on this chair till you're through. I will wait with your purse. I won't wander off even. I am glad to be shopping here with you. And you know I'll be fine by myself. Which is another one where I think it's it gets extra credit for being great to me in both the lyrical sense and in the you know just the the music itself I think is is excellently 
arranged. But uh, I heard Alone at Home live when uh, Colton was opening for They Might Be Giants um, at the Stone Pony in New Jersey. Um, and then, you know, because the, the, the album only launched like two days later or something. Uh, and I don't know if that added to my affection for the song because hearing it unveiling live to me for the first time was exciting. But uh, the song is the song is very the singer is very angry and hateful toward his wife or significant other in my view <laughs> um and you know first he's the, the first verse you know is kind of giggle worthy and as we said you know it's it's another one where it kind of keeps building things you know where it's uh, yeah I'll, i'm gonna sit here on this chair while you do your shopping and i'll watch your purse and i'll take care of it while you do your thing and it's fine because i'm alone at home and i you know much of the lyrics of this song i think are straightforward I feel like the chorus is open to some interpretation. What he exactly means by saying he's alone at home, I think, is up for debate. Um, but I don't know. As that song builds and he says he'll make room for your stuff uh, when you buy stuff at the candle store and that he'll uh, pretend to be nice to your parents when you visit them. You know, it's he clearly um, has fallen out of love. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that whole thing, I think it's a hilarious thing to write a song about, at least in the way that he did. And um, the cryptic chorus keeps me coming back. And I really like the 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 um the way he sings the chorus. It's very energetic and, and and catchy. I think. Yes, I think he has nice access again as a by this time married person. Nice access to the kinds of small things that can magnify in a marriage to get on your nerves. And the, <laughs> the you know he has a limited number of words in these verses, so he's got to choose them very carefully. And this is what I think makes him uh, uh, brilliant as a, as a lyricist and connecting with. Uh, People like me in particular, the bit where he says, uh, we can talk about plans for your cousin's birthday. If you haven't been married, that may make no sense. How is that? How is that, you know, something that you're bitter or angry about? But sometimes like you just, you know, your your wife will be way more interested in talking about plans for her cousin's birthday than you are. And the fact that she's interested <laughs> and wants to talk about it will be annoying to you. And that's something that you, you know, you wouldn't have had access to if you weren't in that situation yourself and couldn't relate to it. That, that, that's good lyric writing. I think it's interesting, John, that you said sometimes your wife is more interested <laughs> than you are. <laughs> My wife is always more interested in talking about those kinds of things than I am. For, for the, the most compelling lyric that, you know, and John, you made this point a couple of times, that it feels like it's coming from his real world experience, is the, the entirety of the bridge. You know, I don't want you to make it up to me. I just don't want anyone to see the way we are when we're this way. Can we just not make this a thing? All of which feels like pulled from maybe, I, I mean, not every conversation I've had with my wife, but yeah. It's, well, it's, it's magnified. Like he's, he has access to those feelings. He's not actually in that situation, but he can take that and say, I know that exists now. Map it onto this character in this song because it's a coming from a real place. It's not, not, not autobiographical. He's doing what great songwriters do. You don't have to live through these horrible experiences you just have to understand how they could come to be and say, now I, I can write something that's true about people who are in this situation. Well, let's do uh, the third and final round before we get to our broader Colton discussion. John, you're up again. Yeah, this is a tough choice because, again, just limiting to three is, is killing me. And I've already sneak, sneaking in mentions of other ones. But I, I'm going to pick this one because it's the least like the other ones. Uh, it's a very simple song that, that I really started to like the first time I heard him live. And he played it. Uh, I guess I, I figured, you know, if he likes this song so much that he decides to pull it out live and it's fairly obscure. Uh, maybe I should uh, give it another listen. And, and I did. And it has definitely grown on me. It's uh, I'm Your Moon. They invented a reason. That's why it stings They don't think you matter 
Because you don't have pretty rings I keep telling you I don't care I keep saying there's one thing they can't change I'm your mood, you're my mood We go round Which is a... <laughs> Very straightforward, not funny at all song that doesn't have to be about anything other than what it seems to be about, which is like a relationship with a moon analogy, but is actually about Pluto and its moon that is almost the same size as Pluto. <laughs> and that little extra geeky twist makes it's I like I like how it's nice and calming and it's fun to listen to. But knowing that it's also about uh, Pluto and its moon gives it that extra twist that again tickles me while i listen to it and i can i can i could appreciate it straight up even if it wasn't about pluto but that extra bit puts it over the top i think that's a great choice that would have been my fourth choice uh my 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 third choice is uh along the same lines is it's very straightforward and it's sweet is you ruined everything i was fine i pulled myself together just in time Throw myself away Once my perfect world was gone I knew you ruined everything In the nicest way And my kids were a little older uh, when I first heard this song, but I'd never found a song that, that <laughs> expressed the kind of... I was terrified of having children. Um... It was this giant, uh, unundoable decision, <laughs> and it, apparently, so far, it's worked out. But there's this notion of, I am irrevocably changing my life right now, and I'm happy it happened. Um, I I dearly love my children, but there's also a part of me that I sacrificed for that, and sometimes I miss it. <laughs> That's kind of the thing they don't tell you about parenthood. Like before you're becoming a parent, people only want to ever tell you, oh, you're going to love it so much. You're going to love your kids so much. All of which is true, but no one will tell you. Like, because I guess it makes you, see, you seem like a bad person if you go up to someone and say, listen, I know you're having a kid, but let me tell you all the bad things about it. And you ruined everything. Again, it must have been written by someone who has actually had kids and said, right. let me tell you. Right. Uh, there are so many great things about it. And the, the heart of this song is sweet, uh, but part of you dies. <laughs> and I, the, the lyric that gets me every time is when he says, I can't think of who I was before you ruined everything in the nicest way. And t that's the that's the thought that echoes to me the most often. You know, I, I, I thought when we had one kid, I thought, what the hell did I do before I had this kid? <laughs> when we had two, what the hell did I do when I just had one? And now I have three. And what the hell did I do when I just had two? And I, that, that lyric I, really speaks to me at a very poignant level. Have you guys ever, like, after your kids were born, you know, uh, six months, nine months after your kids were born, did you ever find yourself, like, driving to work and staring at studio apartments as you went by? <laughs> this is, this has the made, that has the making of good Jonathan Colton song. I could get so much done. <laughs> yes. I need a futon and an internet connection. <laughs> that's the name of your album, Futon <laughs> and an Internet Connection. Well, that's, a, that's a sweet song. I like that. Yeah. All right, Scott, your third and final selection. Uh, I am going to choose a song from Artificial Heart as my, my final selection, uh, Nemesis. Could it be that you need me to keep you out, to run you faster? Promise me you'll let me be the one, the worst of all your enemies, pretending you're a friend. 
to me Say that we'll be nemeses Which I enjoy. It's about, uh... Nemeses. Um, it's a, a fairly straightforward <laughs> song, I think. Uh, about the idea that, uh... It is from the vantage point, uh, the viewpoint of one person who is the nemesis, or at least suggesting to another person that they should be nemeses, so that they will fulfill each other's lives, basically, because I wouldn't, I won't seem as crazy, you won't seem as crazy if we are competing with each other and trying to, you know, kill each other, basically. Uh, and I will constantly be following you, lurking in the shadows, trying to thwart you. Uh, but it will all make sense, because we're nemeses, so that we'll, we will complete each other. Uh, so it's an, an interesting kind of strange song, I think. And I, I enjoy collecting Nemesis myself, so it speaks to me. There can only be one bearded singer-songwriter on the internet. Well, this is, this is a situation where someone is, wants to be someone else's nemesis, uh, and perhaps the other person doesn't know that that person really wants to be their nemesis so badly. Oh. Yes. Like, you're pretending you didn't even know my name. Well played. All part of the, all part of the <laughs> game, right? Nudge, nudge, you know. It's another foiled love song, isn't it? And it's a duet with uh, with uh, John Roderick, who's, who's who's great. This was my introduction to him as a singer, uh, and it's a very interesting uh, mix of voice sounds that duet. And uh, yeah, that's actually an interesting element of uh, Artificial Heart is that there are is it three tracks, four tracks where Jonathan Colton is not the lead vocalist, which is kind of unusual when you buy a, an album from someone. You think that they're going to sing all the songs and Nemesis. Um, now I'm an arsonist. Uh, the third version of "Stay uh, of Still Alive." Yeah, but he, he makes up for it with "Nobody Loves You Like Me," where Jonathan Colton is on it nine times. <laughs> so, for for my last song, it, like I said, it does come from "Artificial Heart," and I, I far be it for me to casually list off songs that didn't make the cut, but that were very close, like "Curl," "Not About You," "Blue Sunny Day," "Today with Your Wife," and "Good Morning Tucson." But the song that I picked uh, was. It's it's I guess like Scott's caveat I'll say you know it's it is a kind of a very superficial song but I think it's so brilliantly crafted and unlike any song I had heard previously and yet so obvious that this kind of song should exist when you hear it and that is Je suis Rick Springfield um it's very very simple uh a very simple melody uh and really a, a relatively simple concept um although still with a little bit of ambiguity where the singer uh, the singer either claims to be or is in fact uh rick springfield and apparently in france or in some other french speaking location uh reminding people about his greatness and assuring them that he that he is indeed rick springfield but doing it all in french uh and then even questioning his own french and i guess it kind of goes back to one thing that i like is you know where he's correcting himself or he's he's trying to verify that he's pronouncing the french words or, or phrasing the french words correctly in song and i like that i like when singers second guess themselves in within a song uh, and I don't know something about that song. I can't help but rock out to it in the car, no matter who's uh, looking in the windows. And it's I don't know. I think it's great. 
Yeah. The, the nice thing about Just We Rick Springfield for me is that I the language I took in high school was French, so I could actually more or less understand the lyrics the first time I heard the song. And that's a case where I was straining very hard to understand it because when I when I saw this, I saw him. He was auditioning the Artificial Heart songs in Boston. He came up and did a small show uh, with the band. It was the first time I'd seen him do the band. This was way before the album had come out. And one of his introductions is like, okay, here's the next song. It's off the new album that's not released yet, and it's all in French. And it's like, okay, let me get out my my high school French listening ears. And that made me listen to, <laughs> listen to the words straight ahead. And it's it is very kind of high school French structured. You don't, it's not sophisticated French. I think he was using his high school French to write the thing. Uh, and so that that was interesting. And also now when he does it live, he has a middle section where he does uh, a little bit of Jesse's Girl, which blends nicely into the song. Very cool. So let, let's let's go a little bit broader in the time we've been permitted. Uh, for me, I would say that Jonathan Colton is very much in keeping with other artists I listen to. You know, my, my other favorite bands are bands like They Might Be Giants and Al Yankovic and, I don't know, Moxie Fruvis or Bare Naked Ladies, all of which I think have... Uh, other people might define their commonality differently for me, but what, what, what I like about it is that they all appear to... Uh, take what they do, take their craft very seriously, but not take themselves very seriously, and then let that show in in the kind of music that they create, which I really appreciate for whatever reason it speaks to me. So I would say that he's, you know, Colden is is one of that genre and in keeping for me, but my, I throw that question to everyone. Do you feel that that's, is he typical of the kind of music you listen to? I would say no for me. Uh, he is, uh, I had a little bit of They Might Be Giants, mostly for the kids. I was never really particularly into them, except for the few little uh, you know, breakthroughs like, you know, uh, Triangle Man or whatever that was on MTV when I was a kid. Uh, but I was nev- never really into that Weird Al. I had, <laughs> I had very few Weird Al songs, you know, thrown into my collection, but never bought any of his albums, was never into it. Uh, and I think the reason he broke through for me is uh, it's kind of the same way why nerds get obsessed with other things made by nerds like, you know, Firefly or... Uh, other series on television that are you know the jj abrams stuff even that are clearly made by nerds who we relate to because with music as for the bands that i like and i like totally generic run-of-the-mill bands of anyone my age like oh you like bruce springsteen u2 rem and radiohead well that's novel right so you know everyone likes they're they're middle of the road bands but you have the sneaking suspicion that the people these famous people who make this music that you love and i really do love those bands as cliched as they are uh for me to like them you have the suspicion that if you were to hang out with them you would have nothing in common because they're not like they're not your people. Uh, they're they're not into the things you're into. They wouldn't they wouldn't understand your humor. They wouldn't have the same cynical view of the world. They're just they're just different. And you love the music they make partially because it's different, and they can talk about things that you don't experience. But when Jonathan Colton came along, he was here. Love joy. Yeah, here, here was this person who you felt like there's no way that this person could know this stuff about my secret heart if he didn't also experience some of these things. And so I think he appeals because his two major touch points are obscure references and sadness. Yeah, well, it's not just that. Like, it's not that's the thing. That's the thing about him. I think if another artist came out and they did these similar songs to these, every one of these songs could take a bad turn. For example, uh, You Ruined Everything. That song would not be a good song if it was like a song like, oh, these kids, they ruin everything. That's not what the song is about. At its heart, it's it's sweet. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so many yeah, of these absolutely. songs are on, on a razor's edge of being crappy versions of themselves and he never goes there and so all all these songs is like finally yes this person he under you know he seems to understand me and i felt like if i hung out with this person then we would have something to talk about it's 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 almost as if one of one of us broke through like 
a nerd was made who actually had musical talent, who understood lyrics, <laughs> pop music, uh, you know, hooks, and enough musicmanship to to get through. And it's like, yeah, one of ours made it. In the same way that there's much more of those making movies and television now, but in the music realm, there are so, so few. Uh, I, the Might Be Giants probably qualifies, but they never quite broke through to me. But Jonathan Colton's lyrics and music were such a, a connection with, like, what's deep down inside of me that I just immediately latched on. It, you know, it's that that last point that you made, I think, is is really good. I, I, like I've said repeatedly now, I'm a big fan of Weird Al's. But, you know, one of his I think one of his highest charting songs of all time was White and Nerdy, a parody of the song Riding by Chameleonaire, which I would imagine most people who like Weird Al had never heard of before he parodied it. But, you know, he he's constantly made reference to with White and Nerdy. It was a song I was doing research for my whole life. But he's not the same kind of nerd that I think you're yeah, referring to. You know? And, you know, he's making relatively trite jokes about, you know, Star Trek and uh, pocket protectors and and stuff or editing Wikipedia. There's not a core of emotion that is in Colton's songs. I think that's exactly right. I think that's what's I think that's the difference is that he doesn't you know, he knows about it, but he doesn't feel connected to it. But I mean, I I like Weird Al, but Weird Al tells jokes. Colton has uh, the lyrics, the the humor reflect the core of emotion. And without that core of emotion, you're not going to have the same kind of wordplay, the same kind of twists, the same kind of little, you know, knife under the rib to the to the lyrics that you do when you're just making javascript jokes it's kind of like he's he's like an essayist like if he was just if he had no musical talent whatsoever and didn't write songs he could be a very clever essayist for like you know suck.com or something if we want to go back in time to you know or the onion or something (laughs) like that right and this this is going to sound terrible and i was kind of getting at this in my other analogies but i figure i might as well just bring it out and sound terrible because why not because these people aren't going to find me and and, uh, yell at me you it's it's the feeling you have as a disaffected nerdy youth that uh, it's not fair that you're uh, smarter than everyone else, but nobody likes you anyway, right? Like the, the being smart is not worth anything. And, you know, I've never met any famous musicians, but you get the feeling that, you know, Jonathan Colton is smarter than Bono. Jonathan Coulter and Colton is smarter than, than Bruce Springsteen, right? Uh, and it's, and I think it shows in his writing because his writing is smarter. Is it better writing? Does it make for better music? Is Jonathan Colton better than Bruce Springsteen? I don't think that's necessarily the case, but it speaks to me in a way that like, that, that, Here's a guy who's using his brain in the same way that I felt like I would use my brain if I had any talent whatsoever for writing music or lyrics. Like, you're like, yes, that me, that's what I'm, you know, it's just, it's such an incredible connection. And that, that's strange to me because I think, does that prevent him from ever connecting with like the rest of the world, the normals, you know, because he, everything he writes is so unashamedly, it's not just like pop culture references and stuff. It's like, insight and cynicism and and sentiment all mixed together in the same soup in the same way that it is inside you know nerd brains how many mainstream pop songs have actually sent required that you go look something up or taught you anything because because geeks love to learn new things so he will unashamedly make parts of the song educational but it's i I went and i read you know the entire wikipedia entry for satirius johnson because i had no idea who he is because i live on the west coast (laughs) Or the, um, you know, he he put the formula for... What, yeah, he got it wrong, though, but that's okay. It's the Julia set. <laughs> yeah. but, but he had the formula for a fractal in a song. Yeah. Well, that, that's, I was going to, that would have been another on my list of like top 10 or whatever, because, uh, so he's got a song about fractals. So what? Like that's, that's, a, you know, and it's cute and it tells some history and it's a little bit educational. But the the brilliant thing about him is that he's he's not going to settle for that. I'm not going to write a cute little song about fractals that it's a little bit educational. Isn't it kind of funny that it's a song about fractals and I curse? 
he has decided, he has thought about it and decided there's something significant about fractals and he puts it in the chorus, change the world in a tiny way. They did. That little thing changed the world, not in a big way, but some smart person used their brain and changed the world in a tiny, tiny way. That's true. I enjoyed that song because I went to see Mandelbrot give a lecture once when I was in college, and I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> about he, he introduced himself, and that was at the, after that, I had no idea what he was talking about. But it was great to see because he had so much passion, and I think that Jonathan Colton also has a lot of passion about his, his craftsmanship and uh, what he's doing, and that shows through. And I also like, as uh, you know, a sometimes creative person myself, hopefully, uh, the the idea of the the thing a week really spoke to me about how he forced himself every week to write a new song, and whether it was good or bad, he would do it and release it. And uh, that is something that I aspire to myself. I don't actually do it, but I think about how it would be great to do something like that. <laughs> Well, that, that's another. That's a definitely a nerd thing to do. Like nerds are like, I'm going to lose weight, so what I'm going to do is only eat, you know, this amount of food, and I'm going to blog the entire experience and record it, and I'm going to keep a journal and like the scientific approach, the obsessive scientific approach to everything. So he said, I want to be a recording artist. How do I do this? I will do this, you know, very structured and very, you know, like you know, he's keeping a notebook and keeping track. Of, you know, that's that's just a nerdy way to go about becoming a nerdy musician. And so I, I think I know the answer, but I, I don't know the, that Greg and Scott weighed in. Would you say that, that Colton's in keeping with the kind of music you generally listen to? I think the commonality for me is that I'm a lyrics first guy. And so if the lyrics surprise me or I find them elegant, I don't care all that much what the music is like. Um, I enjoy particular genres of music more than others. But if 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 they're good lyrics, it's a good song. And that that goes across pretty much every band I listen to. I can't think of a band that I listen to that's just kind of dumb, rhythm-driven fun. I'm great at a party, let me tell you. <laughs> that's what John listens to. Uh, I mean, I, I, I tend to eventually reject the songs that don't have anything interesting in them lyrically, but I definitely am a music-first kind of person. Like a lot, some Jonathan Colton songs, I, I, don't, I can't really, I'm not a music person, so I can't gauge how good of a musician he is, but I, I feel like his, some of his songs work musically really well and if you took the lyrics away entirely you've got a solid pop song there you know like yeah that's absolutely true but the reason he's he's at the top of the list is because of his lyrical ability yeah yes, yes obviously but like i think i think he gets under i think he gets underappreciated as as a musician at least as far as i'm concerned because I, you know i don't know if he could make it traditionally because his brain would prevent him from writing a traditional song but uh i i also feel like i'm much more qualified to judge lyrics than i am to judge music along the same lines yeah. right well i mean it's easy to tell what you like like i like a lot of i mean you know the uh, radiohead the flaming lips very strange musically uh and i know what i like i just don't know if that's like good music bad music is just you know what the flaming lips are actually close there because that they're they're somewhat nerdy too a little bit or maybe they're just crazy. It's very difficult to tell sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Who can judge these things? Uh, uh, well, he fits in very nicely with what I listen to generally, although I listen to a very strange mix of things. But certainly uh, I enjoy clever kind of peppy songs that when you listen to the lyrics, you realize this is not a happy song at all. But it's so <laughs> it sounds so happy. But this person is so sad. <laughs> Actually... 
You know, it's come to think of it, there is one genre of music that I listen to that Jonathan Colton does fit into, and a, a large amount of the music that I listen to when when I'm working uh, doesn't have any lyrics, uh, and it's video game music, whether 8-bit or orchestral uh, versions of it or remixes of video game music. And what kind of person listens to video game music? Someone who's played a lot of video games. And what kind of person has played a lot of video games? Someone who's, you know, a sad, disaffected nerd. You know, so it all, it all connects back to Colton, but I don't even list that. Like, what kind of music you like? And people ask what kind of bands. I don't list, like, you know... Uh, the the art the artists that make uh, shooters <laughs> yeah, the artists that make music for for video game soundtracks uh, but that that is if you look at like most recently played in like my iTunes collection you'll be like wow fifty percent of the music you listen to is video game soundtracks and Jonathan Colton <laughs> what's what's amazing to me is how how quickly and successfully he's ended up becoming one of the dominant artists I listen to in iTunes because I was looking at the playlist numbers and things and you know it's most of the artists that I still listen to today, I've listened to for, you know, since my childhood. And you know, he came around in the, for me, in the, I guess in the early mid 2000s. And he's, he is as prominent in my, you know, in every playlist that I generate as somebody like They Might Be Giants. And um, I think that's very impressive because there aren't, I don't, I don't know if it's diminishing returns or what, but it doesn't feel like today there are as many artists coming up who are in that sort of nerdy geeky zone who are who are interested in singing smart music and um i'm I'm glad that he's there doing it it's hard to believe he's been releasing songs for almost 10 years right yeah he's very productive though like the number it seems like the number since he didn't stick to the album every three or four years traditional band format like he just kept spewing out songs and that like a part of the reason they come up so often in my little you know uh rated three plus random playlist that i listen to is because there's just so many of them and when I look at my iTunes usage history, it, you know, it's video game music, Jonathan Colton, and like the next highest traditional band. I was surprised by this myself because if I had to list them in terms of my favorites, I wouldn't have listed this right next to that. Uh, it was R.E.M., which is like the proto-nerd band, right? Where they were they were nerdy kind of before we really knew what nerds were about, and their music was kind of nerdy before nerdy music was popular. That that's like the number three after video games and, and Jonathan Colton, and also because I have you know I have every album they've made, they have a big catalog too. There you know, so it tends to just come up a lot. Art school nerds, yeah, there's all different all different varieties of nerds. But finally, Jonathan Colton found the exact <laughs> the exact species that I belong to, minus the, the musical talent part. I will I will say that none of the songs that people picked out tonight you know shocked me there were never like oh how could you pick that clunker because i don't think we heard any but the thing that surprises me the 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 thing that i'll be left ruminating on is john syracuse is saying you know that he's he's not into something like they might be giants which i think has just tremendous audience and stylistic overlap uh but likes colton so now i don't know i was thinking you know how can i how can we wrap up and how can we say you know so if you know if you like this then you'll like this that's not that i can't really say that based on what we've said now i feel like it's really you know, if you like the incomparable, then there's a decent chance that you'll like Jonathan Colton's music. But I, I can't go to a specific artist if uh, if John doesn't consider himself a they might yeah, be Giants. I, fan. I've tried to introduce people to Jonathan Colton, and it almost never takes. Like, like I think you have to if you haven't found Jonathan Colton yourself by now, it's may not be it may not be for you, right? Because I'll show it to people, and I'll just I'll just be amazed that like, but aren't you're you're kind of smart and nerdy too. Like, how can you not appreciate this? Some people just aren't interested in it musically because it's too boring for them and they can't get past that. Or they're, you know, it's too tiring to listen to the lyrics or it takes, uh, they just, you know, it bounces off. But I find that kind of sad that like, I don't want him to be a cult hit. I think he deserves even more success than he has, you know? 
He... I think he's I think he's past cult at this well, point. Well, you think so, but we're that's because we're all in the cult. Like try, you know, try picking a person <laughs> off the street and saying, A, have you heard of John the Cult? And the answer is obviously no. And B, hey, try listening to the song. What do you think? They're gonna be like it's not, you know, <laughs> Unless they're like portal players, right? Well, well even true. even that, like the people who are into video games, like, oh, that song was kind of cute, but they don't, you know, don't you feel like it? I I think it's still a culty kind of thing because as big as he is, like I saw him in the Paradise a couple weeks ago, and that that's a room like not as even as big as my house. He's not selling out stadiums, right, or even right. arenas right. or or any big indoor venue, just little tiny clubs, and you can get tickets, you know, up to a couple days before, no big deal. It's definitely still a cult, I think. I will say the the thing that one thing that surprised me was just this week uh Jonathan Colton tweeted a link to an interview he had done and um in its intro in this piece that he links to where it made reference to his uh earning $500,000 yeah. a year now from his music. Yeah, business. I'm not saying he's like he's a pauper. I mean That is a measure of success. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it, it's fine like I'm yeah, he said that he said that in an NPR interview when he was being imp- interviewed in NPR like last year or so. It was Planet Money. Yeah, and they, and they asked him and he he regretted that he had said anything about how much he earns. Right. Uh, but like they they got it out of him and he he was disappointed in that interview and so was I because they kept saying internet musician Jonathan Colton, this one hit wonder <laughs> fluke that wow, he got lucky and right. made it big on the internet and this is not a sustainable like the Jonathan Colton business model and that whole thing that's like all their podcast that we could do, you know, about uh, Right making money online intellectual property and all that stuff but financially i don't feel like b- bad for him that he's not successful or anything it's just that like he's self-limiting through what he does that he's never going to have the broad appeal and the broad and i don't think like he deserves the broad appeal because he needs to be fabulously wealthy more than he is but just because like you know it gets for the same reason you think it's unfair that people you think are, are so clever and and artistically like the artistic insight and cleverness and you know such such a great package and just not appreciated by the vast majority of the population. But the reason he is so deeply appreciated by a minority of the population is because he is specifically who he is. Yeah, the same thing that limits his broad appeal is what inspires the deep yeah. appeal. Um, and we wouldn't be doing a podcast on him if if he were t- deluded enough to be hugely popular. Well, that that's the that's the thing is like is is it because like it's impossible to appeal? That, that's that's the weird thing about his music and a couple other things as compared to say TV or movies because you can make television or movies that speaks directly to us nerds and we love it and we just think it's so awesome and interesting and it's not dumbed down at all and yet also has broad appeal, also is critically acclaimed, also like crosses over right, uh, but. With, with yeah, but it's taken a long time to get there. I it mean, it has, but like music is not there yet. Comic book movies weren't big releases twenty years ago. <laughs> that wouldn't be the example I would use, but I would say like, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I specifically <laughs> picked the Avengers because of you. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the general culture is moving more in his direction, but he's way out in yeah, front of he is, it. and they could they could catch up to him, but uh, I, that that would be a great day for the general culture. I think. When you talk about somebody who's crossed over, it would be like Hodgman, who is, of course, closely related to Colton. Well, I mean, his college roommate at Yale, even. Yeah, like he he was on those Apple ads. That's how people know him, and he is on the Daily Show. But the Daily Show and the books have been very popular. I mean, well, I think they're just selling to the and, same nerds. It's popular for a book means it's, it's much lower bar than popular <laughs> for a movie. You know, you sell a couple hundred thousand right. copies of a book, but and you're awesome. popular for a musician is the same as popular for an author, isn't it? No, I mean, you have no. Stephen King and you have REM, but you Justin Justin Bieber is popular. Lady Gaga is popular. But it's, and so is Stephen King. But that's not every author who's, I guess, making an impact on the culture. 
If, if I see a Jonathan Colton, I love Justin Bieber's books. <laughs> but so I guess I guess my response to you, John, would be that I think you're I think you're right that you can't say Colton does not qualify as a a mainstream successful artist. He, you know, he. You're right that most people don't know who he is. You know, my wife might pick out my wife who does not fit into you know our culture <laughs> would not you know she might be able to pick out you know a dozen or maybe fewer Colton songs that really speak to her. Um, but she's she, I would she's certainly not a fan. But I think that the the second point and the I think maybe this is even part of Greg's point is that it doesn't matter. You know, and that's wonderful. You know, the fact that he can be successful and make a, a an excellent living and entertain those who are willing and eager to be entertained by him. Uh, regardless of the fact that he's not huge, I think is great. Yeah, he should write a song about John, a person named like Jonathan Colton, like, you know, Thomathan Schmolten, being born 100 <laughs> years in the past and nobody knows about him because he has no way to make right. no, no way to make a living. There's no internet. There's no way that he can harness his obvious talents and, and spread his his art to the people who would appreciate it. And so he just, you know, he works as like a blacksmith and then dies. Jonathan Colton has a long tail. And I, I will make this incomparable promise. If Jonathan Colton hears this and records that song, uh, John Syracuse will record a cover of it to air on the show. <laughs> I would actually do that. I will, I will probably do anything that Jonathan Colton ever asked me. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a man crush. <laughs> I, I understand. I share you, that man you crush. crush everything. <laughs> well i want to say thank you to everybody uh a for putting up with me but b for a very interesting talk about jonathan colton so thank you john scott and greg thank you thank you lex thank you lex sure and um that's it <laughs> i don't know how jason ends these things hey guys i happen to have the man himself jonathan colton right here with me and uh, he has something that he'd like to say to you i heard what you were saying you know nothing of my work. I mean, how you got to record a podcast about anything is totally amazing. Oh, if only real life worked like this. This was it, Ryan. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm flattered that you guys did a did a whole show about me. That's very, you know, that's flattering. Creepy. I I was going to say it's you've got four geeky people spending an hour talking about you. I, I'm not sure whether that's something that pr- maybe happens to you every day on the internet. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I, it may. I, you know, I don't hear about it most of the time. I think, but um, uh, no. But it's very, very, very kind of you. Very kind of you. They said very nice things about you. Oh, good. I, if I were smart, I would have asked. Was this a was right. this a flame flame episode? Because I, that's right. You know, I don't want to contribute to that. It really, yeah. It was what's wrong with Jonathan Colton? <laughs> Where did he go wrong? It's a backlash. It's starting the backlash. <laughs> well, somebody's got to do it. So yeah, why not well, obviously. Why not an obscure <laughs> podcast? <laughs> that nobody knows about. I, I just I had this vision when they said, "Well, we're we're going to record the Jonathan Colton episode." I said, "You know what would be really funny is if he appeared and said, mm-hmm. as as if Woody Allen dragged him over, 
you people know nothing about what I do and <laughs> I don't even know yeah. why you're here. But no, I think I think uh, I guess it's probably funniest. Uh, I mean, because you kind of you kind of could go two ways. You know, you can either just like directly quote uh, Marshall McLuhan from that movie in the hopes that people will get the reference, or or you could have a completely uh, off the cuff conversation. But I think it's better to to actually do the the reference and right. and actually just have me have me blast in and say say those lines. All right, all right, I can right? I can right? do that. I don't know. I mean, it's your, it's your podcast. You tell no, me. No, let's let's well let's give that a try. Why not? All right, let's give that a try and see if it works. I mean, Marshall McLuhan acting briefly. I know, Marshall. <laughs> it's not what he was most known for. Not, not real. Actually, sometimes I wonder if maybe <laughs> he's, he's more. I was a comm major. I, I did whole classes about Marshall McLuhan, but most people probably think, yeah, he was well, in that movie. Maybe long term, that might be the thing that he is most remembered for is that, uh, that little cameo. That's sad. And me too. When they look back on the history of the world and they see, they'll see Jonathan Colton. He was the guy who did that Marshall McLuhan reference on that podcast, <laughs> <That's>, right? <laughs> that would be the other way to go. I was going to think, you know, I don't know. He was, he was in, he was sang a song in a video game. Didn't sing a song in a video game, but that's unfair. <laughs> that's although funny. The guys on the podcast, almost to a man, said that they first heard about you from uh, from Baby Got Back. No kidding. And I thought, wow, I and that's not true for me at all. I, I think uh, my my wife sent me an MP3 of of uh, Skull Crusher Mountain when it was posted, and she thought that I would think it was funny, but they all were there at the start. Well, you got Skull Crusher Mountain is uh, that's very early. That's that's before that's before I had even quit my job. So I think you win the prize. Wow. Well, but they are, they were much harder core. I actually um, I bought your I bought Artificial Heart after I saw you open for They Might Be Giants when you were in San Francisco earlier this year or oh, late cool. last year, and now I, of course have dug back into the back catalog. Oh, good. Oh, that's so, an interesting thing. I've right. had a strange. You're, yeah, you're going backwards. I came around the backside. Yeah, I'm I'm like the uh, Benjamin Button of Jonathan Colton. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I, I, All I, right. Look. I can't wait till I get to Baby Got Back, but then that'll be that. So, <laughs> uh, I don't think the people who get the reference are really going to enjoy that. I, I all, all five of them, people who remember. Uh, I, I had one other thing, if you've got a second, which was just to sure. – um, I wanted to list – so the idea is they did this essentially as a Jonathan Colton draft where everybody got to pick uh, – three three rounds of favorite songs and i wanted to run oh. it by you just to see if if any of them struck you as being particularly odd i mean i think sure. you've got your favorites that the fans like and i think that's pretty pretty natural but just to run through them alone at home oh. which that my married person um picked that uh-huh. uh okay. chiron beta prime code monkey i crush everything uh-huh. i'm your i'm your moon uh regarding your brains which I think we've clearly established as re your brains now. Yes, uh, yes. Skull Crusher Mountain, the future soon, the presidents. Wow. You ruined everything. Uh, Nemesis and Je suis Rick Springfield. And if you wow huh. the presidents. Uh, the presidents. Uh, uh, it feels like an unusual one uh, for me to pick as a as a favorite, o- only because it's you know, I mean it's it's one of the sillier ones musically. It's a little. It's a little uh, goofball. One of our uh, one of our panelists uh, pointed out that his kids he made a a, a playlist of of um, more kid friendly 
uh, Jonathan Colton songs for his sons after um, after they loved um, Code Monkey, and mm-hmm. one of his sons drew a picture of a warm fuzzy heart and then stamped mm-hmm. classified on it so it was a warm fuzzy secret heart <laughs> but when adorable. they got to the presidents they asked what um bill clinton did with a cigar and then there was an awkward silence <laughs> <laughs> even, even when they're kid friendly they're not really kid not friendly so much not so <laughs> and much. i also find uh, alone at home uh i mean I, I like that one a lot too but um that feels like one that uh i'm surprised that somebody would pick as one of their favorites not that it's not Good. It's a it taps into something, something painfully true for a lot of people. I think, but it's a. That's basically what they said: is that is that you have those. I mean, exaggerated to to a certain degree, but those moments of of frustration and and uh, going. I always read that as being a little bit of going to your happy place. <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not really. I rem, I actually it brought back to me memories of going shopping with my mom to the mall. And and she would drag me around shopping, and yeah. I would say, "I you know, there's a bench here. I'm going to just sit here and steer into space yeah. because I'd rather do that." Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mention that because I actually was mostly thinking about my mom when I when I started <laughs> writing that song. Uh, because I I had the same thing. I was always being dragged around, and my wife has never once uh, dragged me around a mall and made me hold her purse. She knows better than that. Um, and it's the only reason I got away with actually writing. And releasing that song is because she she knows that she has never made me do that. So she knows it couldn't couldn't possibly be about her. But with your mom, you're powerless. You know? <laughs> I've already, you my mom's already super mad at yeah. me. Well, no, I'm uh, yeah. Well, exactly. But <laughs> you can't exactly say, especially if you're a kid and you can't even drive, and you're you know you go to the mall and it's like okay, you're gonna. And my mall, I didn't live in yeah. a town with a mall, so we were like an hour's drive from the mall. So I nobody I knew was there. I, I was literally yeah. just there's a fountain with a bench. I'm gonna yep. go sit over there. Yeah. You know? And hopefully yeah. we went to the bookstore before we got to the department store, so I could have a book with me to. And you, you often find a number of other shopping orphans. You know, you, you see other people. And even now, you see husbands sitting in benches in, in women's clothing stores. It's always the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what they're going through. My wife is a knitter, and um, the knitting stores have got this down. They have, they have soft uh, chairs and magazines. It's like a waiting room for, for, ah. for husbands and children. Because they know that that's exactly what happens, and and so we were just on vacation, and my wife likes to go to yarn stores when she's on vacation, and they're always the good yarn shops have a little place for the husbands to go and sit. Your, your wife and my wife should maybe get together and do some knitting. Knitting. My my wife is also also a knitter and a yarn shopper. I I don't mind. I I find the yarn shops very pleasant. There's just not really anything for me to do because I it's yarn. I'm not that excited about the yarn, but. They can yeah, be I'm, nice. I'm with you. They should have when they when they uh, make a yarn, they should have a yarn store that also has a bar in it for men to hang that's, out. That's that's a good idea. Some a lot of them have tea, which is not bad. But the yarn the yarn yeah. bar is a great idea. I was thinking either yarn or they should combine like have a combination like yarn and I don't know like comic book store or something just like completely <laughs> just together <laughs> with one of those little doors between them connecting doors. Yeah, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd go for that. All right, so alone at home and 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 the presidents are surprises. Those are the surprises. The other right. ones, the other ones definitely feel like uh, you know ones that I would cl- include on a on a list of the most most beloved by me and and by fans. Yeah, but those those two those two feel like slightly like outliers to me. But but um, there were gasps when the presidents was brought up in the podcast. I will say that. <laughs> no, I'm shocked. 
but it's great. Yeah. I mean, everybody, uh, not not to be fawning suck up interview guy, but everybody did say that one of the things they really like about your music is that there's a, it could very easily be really, um, really nasty and cynical, and it's not that there's a real, a, a real uh, genuine heart at the at the center of things, and and, and a, a, a song like uh, you ruined everything could very easily be pointed a little bit off kilter and instead despite you know the subject matter it's very clearly a, a, a loving story of life ruination which we all which all parents have gone through right so yeah yeah and i that's that's nice that uh, you know my my favorite thing is when people appreciate that um aspect of what i do because it's you know i try to write I, you know it's very hard to write a love song in general and for me, the only way I can write a love song is to write a love song that is uh, as complicated as actual love is, uh, which is to say that it's never it's never just it's never as sunny and bright as as uh, most love songs would have you believe. It's always it's always kind of twisted and sad. Right. Well, the rough the rough edges are give it the definition, right? Exactly. Something exactly. like that. Yeah. Well, I have one last question, and then I'll let you go. And thank you again so much for doing this. And that—that that sure. is a personal question, and you probably don't have an answer. Uh, but I d- have debated with myself literally every time I listen to uh, "Today with Your Wife," I change mm-hmm. my opinion about what it's about. And perhaps it's just intentionally. I feel like I'm asking you to spoil it now, even if there is a defensive answer. I like to believe that it's a very sad song about somebody who who died. But then then I listen to it again and I think, well, it doesn't – you know, he might not be dead. He could be gone or just uh, inattentive or he – you know, he he went out and never came back. Um, But for whatever reason, I think I want it to be just a super sad, weepy song about uh, the tragic aftermath of the the father of these kids and this husband of this wife dying. Uh, Do you you have a specific meaning or is it really uh, however you interpret it? Um, you know, I, I think I, geez, it's complicated. You know, I, when I, when I wrote that one, I was, uh, thinking about what I think is my favorite song in the world, which is uh, a song called famous blue raincoat by Leonard Cohen, uh, which describes, uh, a love triangle. It's actually a letter. It's a letter, uh, read aloud. Uh, and those are the lyrics of the song. And it's a, and it's a person writing to somebody who has wronged him. Uh, there's some sort of love triangle. It's never fully explained what happened. Things are alluded to, but he, he, the person he's writing to, he, he clearly loved and also hated. And, uh, it's, it's just a beautiful piece of storytelling. And so when I, the kernel for the idea of this song was, that I actually was out somewhere and it was raining and I stopped under an awning and there was uh, uh, a friend's wife with her kids. Um, and uh, uh, she is also my friend and um, we chatted for a little while and then the rain lit up and, and we went home. And uh, I was thinking as I was leaving, I was thinking about how the next time I saw my friend, I would say <laughs> in that joking leering way you know oh i had a i had a fantastic time with your wife this afternoon and then as i was as i was imagining myself saying that to him it occurred to me that uh in my circle of friends which includes a few people who have had their relationships and marriages uh splinter apart in recent years that's not really a funny joke anymore (laughs) 
And uh, so then, you know, that was the that was the beginning of me writing that song was using that using that line as a way of pivoting into this area of incredible sadness and uh, the complications of adult relationships. But I also, as I was writing it, was thinking a lot about the Leonard Cohen song and wanting to keep it. I, I noticed that there was that that sort of uh, that unclear subject was there from the beginning. And I wanted to keep it as ambiguous as possible and as secret and mysterious as possible in the same way that the Leonard Cohen song is you're, you're overhearing somebody talk. They're not talking to you at all. You just happen to be uh, eavesdropping on something. Right. Uh, and so I wanted, I wanted it to have that, that feel. Well, well, so I, well done. The answer is I don't know. I don't know what it's truly right. about because I wrote, I wrote around it, but I do know that it's incredibly sad. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's why I want it to be about somebody who's died, because if it's not, then it's really sad for... It's too sad. It's really sad if, they, if they're all still out there and then these lives yeah. are going on like this. But yeah. no, well, well, well done. It is definitely... I love that. I mean, I, I, when I watch a movie, if I, if I just sort of nod and say, yeah, that was fun, and I leave and I never think about it again, I'd almost rather a movie that I end up thinking about for a week and deciding I didn't like, like Inception, I ended up thinking about for a week. And in the end, I was like, you know, I don't think I liked it, but I'm so happy that I saw it because I thought about it. And it's sort of great to have a song like that where every time I listen, I think, well, (laughs) (laughs) now I, now it sounds different and it's the same track over and over, but it, yet it, 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 there's a different meeting every time I listen. So, well, that was definitely my experience with that, with that Leonard Cohen song is for years. I have, I have listened to that song and thought about it when I wasn't listening to it and tried to unravel the story uh, and I, you know, I, I have built up in my head all this complicated backstory about what went on based on that song. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's an amazing thing for a song to do. So yeah, that's, that's, thank you. That's yeah. nice of you. That's great. That's great. I, I love to listen to it and ponder. So, yeah. well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to be on our random, uh, podcast and not have to listen to an hour of people talking about you. <laughs> that could be awkward. Well, as I say, I'm very appreciative of uh, of your attention. It's very, very kind of you. Thank you again. You're Thank very you so welcome, much. Jason. All right. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye.